Don't you desire to be that good soil type of Christian that uh, hears the word, understands the word, and produces fruit in your life? I know that uh, that is the case with most of you. We desire, in fact, being in this room demonstrates a desire on your part to have that be true of you. But what kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you desire to be a, a Christian that is shaped by the Word of God, that is a fruit-bearing type of Christian? Um, this is the kind whose life is a reflection of the truths found in the Scriptures that we hold. Uh, how does one become this, this Word of God-shaped Christian? What we're talking about here is a, a life that, that, that experiences the sanctifying work of God through the Scriptures. You attend week after week. You have been hearing what kind of life this is, how it looks, how to experience this kind of word-shaped life. This is the focus of Psalm 119. It's the focus of James. It's the focus of every book in the New Testament and Old. Sun Valley Church is founded upon this truth that the Word of God has an influence over the people who sit under it. We, we have designed this church intentionally to be always teaching, always preaching, always explaining the Word of God to you who will come. So in every ministry, even in the nursery, we open up the Word of God to those who are there. Preaching and teaching the Word of God is our only strategy here. Um, you know, there are many books on church growth strategy out there, and um, some are, are worthwhile, some aren't. Um, but you may, you may have noticed, if you've been here for any length of time, that we don't have any slick manners in the lobby um, with uh, cute mantras about who we are or what we're after. Uh, we, we simply teach the Word of God here because that's what God requires of churches, right? Um, this is the only thing that God says he will bless. Um, so we, our goal at least is in every ministry here at Sun Valley to continually and tirelessly and faithfully expose you to the word of God. That's, that's our plan. That's the beginning and end of our plan. We believe what God's word says about what his word will do in the hearts and lives of people who listen. In that, though, lies a concern for me. Um, one of my biggest fears for those of you who attend faithfully is that the Word would become not, not unimportant to you, but uh, maybe just a little bit too familiar, maybe, so that you might get a bit complacent or ho-hum about hearing this repeatedly over and over again, week in and week out. Sure, you're, you will take it in and be respectful and, and say, you know, how much you appreciate it. But we, my fear is we might become so accustomed as a church to hearing abundance of the biblical truth that we do that we begin to treat it kind of like our heartbeat. It is, it is there, we can hear it, but we've trained ourselves to ignore it. I, I fear that through overexposure, if there is such a thing, with the Word of God, you could train yourself, not intentionally, of course, but to be less than attentive to it, to ignore it maybe, simply because you've heard it so often. So what do you want to be? What should be the identifying mark of your life? 
I went to a funeral yesterday of a friend, and at that funeral, it was, it was evident that a significant mark of this man's life was that he loved the Word of God. What will they say at your funeral about you? Will it include that? This person loved the Word. Last week I explained that in order to be a word-shaped person whose faith is proven genuine, we must, first of all, receive the Word of God in humility. And James said that that would include being quick to the hearing of the Word of God. That's the article in front of the word hearing in the original language. Quick to the hearing, so taking every opportunity to expose yourself to the Word of God. Quick to the hearing, slow to the speaking. Don't just ramble whatever off your lip that comes to mind when you think or you have an opportunity to say something about the Word of God. Be slow to, to do that. And, and then, of course, slow to become angry, slow to be resistant, slow to have an inward seething rejection of what's being taught, what's being exposed in your life by the teaching of, your wor- of the Word. So, receiving the Word of God we learned last week in humility include being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then secondly, we saw that Um, Receiving the Word of God also includes the idea of pursuing purity. If purity isn't a part of your life, then you're going to have difficulty taking it in as you should. If there is some wickedness um, or filthiness in your life that's between you and the Word, the reception isn't going to be as it should. So today I want to continue explaining this third test of authentic faith in verses 19 through 27 and looking closely at verses 22 through 25. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there with me. James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 19 through 27. In, in these important verses, we're going to see what I think is one of the most common problems in the church today and one of the most dangerous issues in the lives of professing Christians. So please listen as I read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so in this text we have uh, the third test of authentic faith. Is your faith real? Is it genuine? Do you really truly know Jesus? We're going to find out today by looking closely at these verses. In his book, Improving Your Serve, Chuck Swindoll has a helpful illustration about what it means to obey the Word of God. He tells the story of a businessman who left the country for a few months on business and left his company in the capable hands of his manager. And when he returned, he he found his company in shambles. There was trash literally blowing all over the parking lot. The grass hadn't been mowed in months. 
walks into the front door and the, and the receptionist is chewing gum and painting her nails at her desk. And his own office had been turned into a TV room where the, the employees were watching soap operas and ESPN all day. And befuddled, he calls his manager into his office and says, what in the world happened here? And the manager goes, acts confused and says, what do you mean, what happened? He goes, didn't you receive the emails I sent to you about how to run this business when I was gone? And the business manager said, yeah, we loved them. They were great. And, and this conversation went on for a while, and, and his, his manager was a little bit puzzled about all this. And, and after, after finding out that this, this man had received the emails, uh, he said, yes, we received them. We enjoyed them very much. In fact, we read them over and over these instructional emails. Um, some, of the, some people in the accounting department even memorized entire emails that you sent. And we were impressed by those guys down there. Um, additionally, you'll like to hear this, boss. We formed groups to study your emails regularly. We would gather and talk about what we liked in your emails and things that, that we had to think about a little bit more. The owner finally replied, um, flabbergasted and asked, but did you do any of the things I sent in the emails? And the manager says, do? Do? Friends, this is critical to our participation in the life of Christianity, in pursuing Christ. So the summary, if you want, to, if you want one, today I want to explain to you the vital importance of not only hearing the word with enthusiasm, but doing it. It's in the doing where we'll be blessed, according to verse 25, more than anywhere else. And in this place, it will confirm the authenticity of our faith in the doing. When we've been given a spiritual instruction from God's word and do not act upon it, we jeopardize our spiritual health. There, there is a world of difference between reading a menu and eating a meal, don't you think? I think you would agree with that. So obedience to the word is the most basic spiritual requirement of every Christian and the common denominator for all true believers. Doing the word. It, above everything else, reveals the authenticity of your faith. It's the litmus test of authenticity. I think Jesus... Uh, thought about this occasionally in John chapter 14. This is what Jesus said about it. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The Apostle John said something similar in his uh, first epistle, chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, that is, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So just saying that you love Jesus isn't enough in Jesus' mind or in John's mind or in James's mind. So do you want to know, really know, if you are truly saved? Do you, do you have questions about the authenticity of your faith? Well, if so, you need to look no further than this wonderful and tremendously practical little book of James. James here is a collection of tests of genuine faith. So I'd encourage you over the next few months to read and reread this book to be here as I preach this book, to ask God to show you the depth and authenticity of your faith over the next few months as we spend time here. Tremendously important. The tests that we have covered so far in chapter 1 are the trials uh, that we face, the test of trials. How do you respond when 
you face trials of different kinds. Uh, is your response one of joy and trust or self-pity and manipulation, resistance, maybe even anger, like verse 19 suggests? So how do you respond when you face trials? That's the first test. Reveal whether or not your faith is genuine. The second test is your view of God. Do you, do you believe that, do you believe an act, I, I should add, like you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is good or do you live as if God is up there tempting you and seeing if you'll mess up, see if you'll take the bait? How do you think of God? If you believe that he's good, it'll affect how you live your life. Your attitude about your job, your attitude about your marriage, your attitude about church, about serving, about giving, etc. will all reveal what you truly believe about God, which will reveal whether or not your faith is authentic. Now we come to the third test here, verses 19 through 27. This is the third test of authentic faith. And it's your response to the Word. Your response to God's Word. We got into this a bit last week. And we, we remember, I just re referred to that. Receiving it humbly, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, receiving it in purity. Do you fight filthiness? Do you fight internal hidden sins that come between you and a clear reception of the Word? Well, today... We're going to see James's focus is on the obedience to this word. Are you quick to hear it in humility? Are you uh, fighting impurity in your life so that you receive it um, clearly? And then today, do you obey it? This is a simple question James is going to ask. Do you obey the word of God when you hear it? Do you obey it? You first must take it in, of course. We must be quick to hear, but... We can't stop there. We should be, you know, beavers for the Bible, as J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. We should read it daily. We should take it in word for word. But taking it in doesn't assume reception of it, does it? I mean, you, could, you can be faithful in your Bible reading. You can be here every Sunday and not really be accomplishing what God would have accomplished in your heart through the word. After hearing the word, we must take the next obvious step, which is doing the word, obedience. So let's look at this. In your outline, I have um, one main point, receiving the Word of God with obedience. Receiving the Word of God with obedience. So receiving it in humility, receiving it in purity, receiving it in obedience. There is a great biblical illustration for what obedience to the Word of God means in the book of Nehemiah. If you remember, that book was, was written about the return from Babylonian captivity after they'd been in Babylon for 70 years, they were released by the Babylonian uh, empire to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And a man named Nehemiah and Ezra uh, led them back, two men, Nehemiah and Ezra led them back to the city and began rebuilding the walls of the city. And during that rebuilding process, Ezra, uh, who was a scribe, taught the word of God, explained the word of God to the people. And here's where we learn what obedience is. These folks were, were so quick to hear the word that they stood and listened to Ezra preach literally for hours, not just a few hours, a lot of hours that took up most of the day sometimes. They, they were overwhelmed with what they heard and they wept over their sin because they discovered from the preaching and explanation of the word that their sins separated from them from God and they didn't like that. And so it, it caused contrition and confession the next thing that we read in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 about the response to the Word of God was a rejoicing over the forgiveness that God offered. 
Now, does that sound familiar to you, Sun Valley Church? Where you come into a worship service and, and, and see your sin for what it is and then hear that God actually forgives these things because of Christ? We, we repeat this to you every single Sunday. It's exactly the, the pattern we see in the book of Nehemiah. But the third response, the one that I want to emphasize, is that after their confession, after they rejoiced over the forgiveness of sin, what happened? They promised or they covenanted to obey. All that we have heard, they said, we will do. So there was confession and repentance. There was rejoicing over forgiveness. And then there was a covenant to obey. That's what the Word of God describes as a true reception of the Word. I wonder if, if James was listening to Jesus when he taught what's recorded in Luke chapter 6. Because it sounds awfully familiar. Jesus taught this in Luke 6, uh, Luke 6 46 through 49. And I, I suspect James was in the audience. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Doesn't that sound like the verses in James a little bit? Yeah, the only way to live a joyful Christian life, the only way to confirm the authenticity of your faith is by being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. People have tried many different things to try to get right with God or try to be totally committed. I'm really going to be committed starting January 1. And they have all these different methods of, of doing those things. But none of them work because God only blesses, according to verse 25, his method of spiritual growth, his method of spiritual consecration. Which is what? Reception of and obedience to the word. Not throwing sticks into the fire after an enthusiastic Bible camp speaker challenges you to do so. Not a spiritual retreat with a life coach. Not... Uh, reading a short booklet on the deeper spiritual life, not reading anything for that matter other than the Word, not taking a short missions trip, not the ascetic deprivation of modern comforts, nothing but the intake of and obedience to the Word of God works, according to Scripture. To help you understand this a bit, I want you to think of the Word of God as an oxygen pump that old-time sea divers used before oxygen tanks were invented. Remember those things? Uh, you, we saw pictures of them when we were younger. These, these deep-sea divers put this big metal tank on their head with a little window, and they would jump off the side of the boat, and a tube would, well, the air tube would go up to the pump. Well, uh, think of this with me, if you would. Uh, the, the, if that pump stopped pumping... Uh, or that line somehow became restricted, the diver was in serious trouble, right? I mean, this is his lifeline. That, that oxygen pump up, up on the boat is like the Word of God, pumping spiritual life to those who are down and desperately need, of, need it. The oxygen line is really 
the means of getting that life-sustaining spiritual oxygen into your lungs. It's the oxygen line really is like reading the Word of God, sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, uh, studying the Word of God, sitting under the teaching, so forth. Uh, so we should be quick to hear the Word of God, quick to receive the oxygen of spiritual health from the, the Word of God. But then we don't just sit there on the bottom of the ocean and take in this nice, wonderful oxygen. We're down there for a reason. We're down there to salvage whatever it is we're down there to salvage. We're down there collecting seashells maybe, I don't know, but you're down there doing something. So the, the objective is to hear the Word of God and use that to do something. If there is a secret in the Christian life about having a vibrant Christian life, it is in the continual hearing of the Word of God and the faithful doing of it. James uses a very vivid analogy in these verses, verses 22 through 25, to communicate this truth. And the forgetful man is the focus of the analogy. What distracts this, this, uh, this forgetful man? Why does he walk away from the teaching of the Word of God and nothing happens? Is it dissatisfaction over what he hears? Is it forgetfulness from what he hears? Is it some kind of anger and resentment and resistance to what he hears because it conflicts with his opinion? Is it his busyness? We don't know what it is, but the fact is he, he hears the word, he exits and forgets. So James is saying, be continually doing the word, doers of the word. Why not? Why didn't James there in verse 22 just, instead of saying being doers of the word, why didn't he just say obey God's word? Yeah, that would have been easier. Well, I think it's because James is defining a character trait, not an assignment. He's defining what makes an authentic Christian tick. They're doers of the word. The character of a genuinely saved person is to be continually doing the word, being a doer, not just occasionally doing. What is the difference between doing and being a doer? The difference is the difference between putting together a birdhouse kit and being a builder. We can all put together a birdhouse kit, can't we? The instructions are pretty clear. It's pretty easy. How many of us can be a builder and build buildings? Very few of us. That's the difference between doing, being a doer and just doing. Verse 22, James says uh, something important. He begins the sentence with the word but. Can you see that in verse 22? But? What's that all about? His point is that you can hear all you want. You can be quick to the hearing, but unless you're doing, you're deceived. And not just deceived, you're self-deceived. You're deceiving yourself. Being deceived about what, we would ask. Well, what's this book about? Tests of authentic faith. So if you're sitting here hearing the word of God week in and week out, if you're sitting at home reading your Bible, going through your Bible plan, and you never find yourself doing what you're hearing, you're deceiving yourself about your salvation. You aren't as saved as you think you are, James would say. So how important is this issue? How serious is this thing we're talking about? The focus of the whole book is determine whether or not your faith is real. And this test says unless you're a doer of the word, authentic faith is improbable. This is important to know. Of course, I've said this before. Uh, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect in your obedient response to the word. None of us are that way, but the trajectory of our life must be this. This must be the direction that we're heading. This must be the desire of our heart. 
Regarding this issue, I think it's helpful um, what we can learn from a few different places in Scripture, including Nehemiah, about this idea of covenant to obey or promise to obey. When you sit under the teaching and the preaching of the Word, like Ezra, or when you are reading through the Scripture yourself and you come across a spiritual truth or a command from God to follow, then I would suggest pastorally immediately make a covenant with God to follow through. Don't just say, man, that's a good idea. Never thought of it like that before. I think a significant concern of every Bible preaching pastor is that his people will be fine at the hearing but falter at the doing. Many times it isn't because some of some intentional resistance. It's usually because of a faulty memory. The intentions are great, but the follow-through is lacking. A helpful solution is to immediately make a covenant with God. In that moment, make a covenant with God to do what you've heard. I think it's additionally helpful to share that covenant with somebody, maybe even before you leave the building. Um, you know, I'm... I think that this is a strange phenomenon, but something happens between this room and the parking lot. There is a large brain sucker uh, out there, and it, it goes to work as soon as you leave the building. Isn't that true? Uh, you hear things in here, and you know, oh, that's wonderful truth. I wish that, you know, that's really, really good, good idea. You walk out, and if you were someone to ask you by the time you get in your car, if you can remember the sermon, you go, is it Sunday? This is that brain sucker that's out there, and he works overtime. Um, so make a covenant with God. Tell someone about your covenant so they can hold you accountable. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, we, we learned about receiving the word of God, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, here from these verses, 22 through 25, I want to share with you four ways to respond to the word of God that demonstrates an authentic faith. Four ways to respond to the Word of God that demonstrates an authentic faith. And the first is this. Respond to the Word of God without deception. Without deception. Verse 22, be doers of the Word, not hearers, deceiving yourself. That word deceiving is uh, paralogizomai in the Greek. Paralogizomai, it's a compound verb. In other words, made up of two different Greek words, para and logizomai where James uses that word to describe a deceived person. And we're familiar with that word, paralogizomai, because we use it in the English, paraglide, paraprofessional. What's a paraprofessional do? They, they help come alongside and help a professional teacher. And how about logizomai? Do we use that word in English? Yes. It's where we get our word logic, logid, logic, Paralogizomai means to set logic aside. So if you hear the word and don't do it, you have set logic aside. To think that you're saved just because you're hearing is setting logic aside unless you're doing. That same word is also used as a mathematical term, which means to miscalculate. Professing Christians who hear the word without obeying it make a serious spiritual miscalculation, which causes them to delude themselves into thinking something is that really isn't. To say that you're a Christian but fail to obey the word of God is to lay logic aside, it's to miscalculate. 
Now go down to verse 22 and look at the word hearers. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. That word hearers uh, was used for auditing a class. Auditing a class is a great invention. If you've been in college and you audit a class, what's true? You don't have to do any of the work. You just sit there and enjoy the class. Teacher's walking around handing out assignments. You say, no thanks, I'm auditing. And he goes, excuse me. Auditing a class is a great invention. Unless it's in the spiritual world. This is what hearers means. We audit. I'm going to audit the sermon. I'm going to audit Sunday school. I'm going to audit my Bible reading. I'm going to audit church. Well, if someone is a Christian thinking that they're auditing church, James would say, think again. You've miscalculated. You've laid logic aside. I want to point something out to you that you may not pick up unless I point it out to you. And that is in this passage, I don't know if you recognize this, but the hearer and the doer are a lot alike. Did you notice that? They both hear the word. Maybe even both quick to hear it. Maybe they're here every week. Maybe they're listening to John Piper's sermon series or reading Spurgeon's sermons. Maybe they got a Bible reading plan. But both the doer and just the hearer are hearing the word. Both look intently into it. You see that? He looks intently into the word. They both look intently. They both probably have similar intentions. They want to grow. They both see blemishes and the disheveled reflection in the mirror of the word of God. The difference is that one leaves the looking, they leave the listening without making any covenant with God to obey. <laughs> the contrast is vivid here. The word, the word he in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is actually this one. It's not he, it's this one. It's the same word he uses in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but a doer, this one will be blessed in his doing. There is a stark contrast being made here between these folks one who does and one who doesn't, but everything else is the same. This one hears but goes away and forgets. This one who obeys is blessed. There's that strange thing going on out in the parking lot. Sucking out the brains. With intensity is the next. You see this. The two different men in verse 23 and 25 do the right thing by seriously looking in the mirror. There's careful observation going on here. This word intently means literally leaning over and carefully examining. Both the hearer and the doer are both carefully examining the word. They're both looking at this in, with intensity. It's the same word that's used of Peter bending over and looking into the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. When he bowed down and he looked in, it says he looked intently. He just didn't have a casual glance. He examined that place thoroughly. 
you must actually examine yourself with intensity with the light of the Word of God, which acts like a searchlight strafing to and fro across the landscape of your life, searching out the inconsistency, the, the, the sinful habits, uh, all these things that need to be addressed in our life and identifying them. This is the intensity that's meant here. And this is an important step of being obedient. But the man in verse 23 walks away and does nothing about what he sees, even though he's looked intently and recognizes, I've got a problem. But instead of dealing with it, he walks away. But the man in verse 25 doesn't. What do we see when we look intently into this word of God? John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, said that when a person honestly and humbly looks into the word of God, they see two things. They see the sinfulness of man and the sinlessness of a Savior. That's what's seen for those who are looking intently. Our sinfulness, we see our sinfulness as it's reflected in the lives of Bible characters. We read through Old Testament Bible stories and we see these characters like Jacob, like David, who fell into sin and you realize before the story's over, that's not Jacob, it's me. That's not David, it's me. That's what we all see when we read the Word. And not, not just in the stories of the Old Testament, but the New Testament authors just come out and say what the human nature is. Romans 3, for example, no one sees God, all have sinned, all have gone their own way. So when we look into the Scriptures intently, with intensity, we see our sin laid bare. But we also see, thank God, His solution to our sin problem, don't we? Which is why we keep coming back to this place week after week. The solution to our sin problem is, is revealed here, and we gain encouragement from it. We see God's solution in the perfect and sinless Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sinful condition requires God's judgment on our sin and a penalty for sin, which we know is death. God's solution to this significant problem we all have is Jesus Christ, God becoming man. We see the sinless perfection of Jesus shining through every page of the Word. And his solution is to have that Savior, our Christ Jesus, die for our sin. And to wait, the way to personally benefit from God's solution is that we need to embrace Christ Jesus as our Savior. We need to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on Calvary and before Calvary, living his sinless life, and after Calvary, raising from the dead. Have you done that, friends? Have you placed your hope and trust in Christ? Do you believe what God says in the gospel about your sin and your Savior? The only way that you can experience God's solution is if you do that. And the only way that you can do that is if you look intently into God's Word. Do you look intently into God's Word? Or is it a passing glance? Are you quick to hear? Do you take every opportunity to take in the Word? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you come Sunday morning, maybe even for two hours, for Sunday seminar and worship service? Are you quick to hear? If you're going to intensely examine the authenticity of your faith, this is where we must begin, in the Word. Next, we must receive the Word with, with repetition. Look at, look at verse 25, the participle there. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but a doer, that person is the one who's blessed. This, this participle here shows a continuous action. He, he keeps on looking. The looker of verse 23 and 24 looks intently, but they won't do anything about what they see. They walk away and forget. The, the doer of verse 25 keeps coming back for more. He keeps looking. He keeps making adjustments. He keeps making promises to God. He keeps returning, it seems like, for more punishment. Why do you people keep coming back here? You get beat up every Sunday. Well, because you're doers. That's why. We persevere in the hearing and the doing. You can't just look and walk away unwilling to do what the word suggests to do. No, we willingly, continually keep at it. You keep coming back for more. Like, like Rocky, he just kept getting up. We need to be Rocky Christians here, right? Yeah. So, fourthly, ways to respond to the word of God is with hope. This is, this is I think, important. Because I know the Christian life can be discouraging and difficult, especially in the face of sinful habits and repeated failures, and this leads to hopelessness at times. Have you ever been there as a Christian? You wonder, well, I've prayed, I've read my Bible, I've been to church, I've talked to the pastor, I've talked, and I'm still hopeless. What's going on here? Well, James gives us hope here. Listen closely if I've described you. Look what he says in verse 25. He says, he talks about this perfect law of liberty. But the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres and does what he sees, he will be blessed. So what's this perfect law of liberty he's talking about? Well, he's talking about the word of God, but why does he call it the perfect law of liberty? The phrase seems strange to us because we generally associate law with bondage, right? Not liberty, not freedom. When you talk to me about law, I'm thinking bondage. But when we talk about, when James talks about law, he's talking about freedom, when he's talking about the scripture, he's talking about freedom. So how can James connect law and freedom together? And how does he and how does this bring us hope? Well, most of the time the world defines freedom as the absence of restrictions. Have you heard that before? This is the world's definition of freedom. Absence of restrictions. Being free to do whatever you want. That's freedom. We we think if God just wouldn't have put so many restrictions on us and given us a little more freedom, life would be so much more enjoyable. We might be able to even get an amen in church when someone would say something like that. If God wouldn't restrict us in the sexual arena, man, we could really be happy. Then, we might think, if he wouldn't restrict our affections for material things, we could really enjoy life. But that, you know and I know, cannot be Freedom, right? Because those who pursue those things don't seem to be too happy. So what is James talking about? Well, a way to help you is maybe with my worldly fish illustration. If you could have a conversation with a worldly fish, uh, how would that go? You know, the, the fish who is worldly desperately wants freedom it might say, I don't like the restrictions of having to live in the water. I'd like to try the land for a change. It's, you, know, you seem to be having a good time on land. 
why can't I try that? I think I, I might want to try that. And we might say, well, worldly fish, give it a try. Come on up here on this hot pavement. We know how that would go, right? Yes, we do. We know the fish is most free when it's restricted to water, not land, right? So now let's turn it towards ourselves. The positive definition of freedom is you are free when you have been released to be truly what you were built and designed to be. Anything outside of that is not freedom, it's bondage. That fish quickly learned that flipping back and forth on hot pavement was not too freeing. We are most free when we live in the environment that God has created us to live within. The Bible lets us know that what that is, we, we must hear what that is, and we must do it to experience the freedom offered there. This is hope, friends. God knows more than we do because he's our creator, what hurts us and what brings us true and lasting joy. Verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing, not just hearing. The blessing is that in the doing and the obeying of the word, not the hearing. Although hearing is critical, the doing is more important. Do you want to be a word-shaped, joyful, and free Christian? Do you want to, to experience that kind of Christian life? The one described in Matthew 13, fruitful, abundant life? Your only hope, friend, is to live in the environment that God has created you to live within. To, to obey. That's where the fullness and joy and freedom is. It's in the water. Listen to these different authors in the scriptures and how they describe this. This book of the law shall not depart from you, it says in Joshua 1.8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Joshua. David in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Not saying, you know, hey, come up up here on the hot pavement. This is way better. That's the counsel of the wicked. Why don't you go live like you want out there in the world? Man, it's, it's a free world. Go do what you want. That's the counsel of the wicked. That's the way of sinners. That's the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man who doesn't go there, but his delight, that is the blessed man, the happy man, the fulfilled man, the joyful man, is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. That's where the joy is. And then again in Psalm 119, blessed or happy, fulfilled, joyful are those who, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's where they walk, where they were intended to walk, where God's blessing resides. Friends, the third test of authentic faith is what do you do with the word that you've received? What do you do with it? Do you say some nice things about it and walk out the door and not do? If you do that, you're self-deceived into thinking something's true about your relationship with God that's not true. Or 
Are you faithfully, obediently following Christ from what you hear from the word? Let me pray for you. God, as we consider our lives in light of your word here from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, um, we have seen the importance of follow through. We have seen uh, in this third test of authentic faith uh, what it means to follow you way beyond the hearing to the doing. God, I pray that, that you, through your spirit in this room, would um, not just bring to light the truths in your word, but waken the will of each and every one of us to follow through. Help us not to be satisfied. Pray that no one in this room would be satisfied with the hearing, but that they would, they would not rest until the doing is experienced. God, have mercy on us and draw us into the doing. We know that this is the goal of our salvation. And so, Father, we, we depend on you. We expect the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives as you've promised he would be. And now we just pray that you give us a willing heart to follow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.